welcome to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines, changing the conversation around divorce. This show is sponsored by Penguin in the Room. Penguin in the Room is an award-winning arts, marketing and social media management company. If you want to jazz up your socials and have someone Instagram and tweet for you, then here's your answer. Go to www.penguinintheroom.com. As always, hit subscribe to make sure you're updated about new episodes. And we love to hear from you on social media at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. You can also email us all the infos on our website, thedivorcesocial.com. This episode is with Sarah Armstrong, who has a very high-flying job working for Google, nonetheless, but also got divorced, found that it was a little bit of a big deal. Would we agree with that? Yeah, I think so. And wrote a book on the subject. So we talk all about her divorce, the process of writing her book, and also a new relationship that is long distance but seems to work brilliantly, which I'm very intrigued by. Um, I'd like to have my own house and then someone else have their own house and then we just meet up for nice times. So find out all about that here. Enjoy. So I am joined by author Sarah Armstrong. Welcome to The Divorce Social. Samantha, great to be with you. Very excited to be with you. So how does that feel, me welcoming you to the divorce social? Any emotion <laughs> stirring? No, you know, it is it is an interesting thing because I always have said that I didn't want to be defined by my divorce. So I think there's some irony that I have decided to write a book on divorce and, and do podcasts with, uh, with various people to talk about the concept of a good divorce. So it is a, there's actually a little bit of irony that I feel when, <laughs> when you say the divorce social. I can totally relate to that because I was like, I don't want to be defined my my divorce. And then I realized the irony because yeah. I set up a podcast about it. <laughs> exactly. So how do you how do you feel now thinking that you might be defined by your divorce? Is that an okay feeling? It's interesting you ask that. You know what? I am completely fine and accept the fact that I made the decision to go through a divorce and that it was for very specific reasons that I needed to do that. And so now, yes, I don't have uh, any issues with the concept of being referred to as divorced. But I do think there's still uh, a mindset within society that if you're divorced, um, that you're maybe not able to be happy and move on with your life and all these things. And so that's what I, I'm so focused on, the concept of having a good divorce and then showing that you can have an incredibly positive and healthy and happy life post-divorce. I love that. But what does what does a good divorce mean? Because I feel like there's like good and evil in the world. And are we looking at it like that? Like, is it the princess, like Cinderella fairy tale of divorce? You know, it's interesting. You know, it's really my, my daughter defined the concept of a good divorce for me. So when we got divorced, she was seven. And about a year later, she was eight years old and we were in a, a drugstore checking out and there was a People magazine on the stand that had a celebrity couple getting a divorce. And she looked to me and she said, mommy, is that a good divorce or a bad divorce? And I said, Grace, I don't know. What's the difference between a good divorce and a bad divorce? She goes, well, good divorce is when the mommy and daddy are nice to each other like you and daddy and a bad divorce is when they scream and yell at each other. 
And Samantha, at that point, I walked out of that drugstore that day with, with Grace and thought, you know what, whatever my ex-husband and I were doing, the fact that our daughter, a year after the divorce, could, could call it a good divorce, meant that we were onto something in terms of how we were approaching co-parenting her and all those things. So, you know, if you think about the definition of a good divorce, I think it's when couples put aside their personal feelings for each other and really focus on what's best for their children. And, you know, that's, um, you know, I, when a couple goes through a divorce and children involved, the stakes are high, you know, and we owe it to our children that they're not collateral damage due to that divorce, you know? And so even though couples have said, oh, I don't, I don't want to be with you any longer, you know, you made a commitment to your children to raise them in the healthiest and happiest environment possible. And I think that I joke that we cover the plugs and we put bike comments on them, you know, and we feed them organic milk. We do all these things to make them healthy and happy, but then we can place them in the most toxic environment due to a divorce. And that toxicity can have long-term impact, you know, on their relationships, on their view on marriage, you know, on their overall, you know, happiness in life. And so I just think we, when we go through this stage of life where we might have to go through divorce, taking that co-parenting seriously, and putting our children first is so important. I guess you can place them in that scenario in a bad divorce, but also in a bad marriage. Yes, absolutely. And Smith, I have I have many examples where I hear of friends or situations where they're in those toxic environments. And I think, you know, there, there are different ways to live our lives, you know, that I think are healthier for all of us. But, you know, there is such a perception in society that... You know, um, if you get divorced, you're going to carry the scarlet letter, you know, around that you've, that you've failed, you know, and I just don't think it has to be that way. And so when, when it comes to a point where you don't think you and your spouse can live in a happy and healthy household, you know, with your children, then I, and then I think it's, it's something to reflect on. I, I like to say though, and I usually start with this, I'm not an advocate for divorce. I actually think people should stay happily married uh, for the long term. That's obviously the goal. And my parents actually have been married 54 years and are a true model of, of partnership in a marriage. And I thought that that's what I would have as well, but sometimes things don't work out as planned. So I do think that society has kind of defined how people think about making that change and have not allowed us to think that, you know what, it can all be okay afterwards. And it doesn't have to be this contentious negative thing. I mean, no one gets married to get divorced, right? It's yeah. Not like that's a goal. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, not a goal, not a goal. But it's, but it's funny that you say you're not an advocate of divorce because there is this idea, isn't it? Because people say to me like, oh, are you telling people to get divorced? But it seems that when we're happy after a divorce has happened, people almost think that we're like the poster girl for it. That's absolutely, Samantha, it's funny. I say that in my, in my book, I say, I somehow I've become the poster child for a good divorce. And actually I have had friends that say, you make divorce look too good. And I wow. think, and I think, well, that's I'm quite a compliment. compliment. Well, I <laughs> well, you know what? I just say, I'm just trying to live a happy life, you know, for myself and for grace and create an environment where, you know, we're, we're happy. I mean, that's the goal in life. Right. But that's where I think this negative cloud, when people think of people going through divorce, I think there's this perception that this negative cloud is meant to follow you for your entire life. And I just don't think, why do we have to, just because we went, divorce is an action, you get divorced, right? Why does getting divorced mean you have to have a negative cloud for the rest of your life? I just don't, I don't buy into that, you know, premise. It doesn't. No, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Full stop, right? 
but it, but there's perception, you know, there's societal perception that, you know, and also in fairness, you don't generally get divorced for good reasons. So there's a, there's something that led you to make that tough decision. And, you know, but I always say that the children that are involved, they didn't choose for their parents to get divorced, but their lives are the most significantly impacted by, you know, the decision and the day-to-day that comes with it. And that I think is the thing that's really tough. I think it's so interesting that your daughter kind of defined good divorce for you. I was I was worried that she was going to say a good divorce is when you're on the front cover of a, mag- of a magazine. And I thought, <laughs> oh, no, I haven't achieved it. Exactly. Um, yeah, we did. Thankfully, that was not the response. <laughs> but, um, but so I don't have children in from my marriage. And I know a lot of listeners do have children and some don't. Mm-hmm. So how would you because obviously the children were a focus there in, in what yes. your description of what makes a good divorce. So if there aren't children involved, yeah. what do you think makes a good divorce? Is it the same? Is it just being nice to each other? You know what? I think, I think it's having the, the chance to step back and say, we decided to no longer be married, but there's a respect and an approach you can take to interacting with each other. If you choose to interact with each other, that does not need to be contentious you know, again, for the rest of your life. And so I think the same premise, it's just one is focused on, you know, the co-parenting children that you have to do because you're both parents of those children. The other is just, you know, the approach you take to life and and interacting with someone that you were very close to and now now you're not. So I I do think it comes down to to that. And, you know, sometimes that means taking the high road in fairness, right? And which is hard, which is hard, Samantha, it's really hard. And I actually talk about a concept in my book called building a compartmentalization muscle, which I think we all need in life actually, but we really need when we're going through divorce in terms of deciding like when you um, allow those emotions that you're feeling to come out and, and they need to come out. It's not meant to bury them, but there's times when maybe you don't need to show all those emotions at that specific moment, because it's not going to be a healthy reaction for anyone involved, whether it's, you know, being in a, a, a family dinner and something comes up and you, you know, you burst out or you know, there's just so many situations where you have to say, is this the time? <laughs> is this the time for me to show those emotions or do I need to set them aside and, and deal with them and then allow myself to to do that? So I do think the, the concept of a compartmentalization muscle is important, especially again, going back to when children are involved, they should not be taken through your emotional journey every step of the way. It's not healthy for them. And they read into every signal moment. And so I just, I think it's something we have to keep in mind, you know, as we're going through it. I think that's, such an interesting example of like being at a family dinner and something happens or like being in that social occasion, you know, maybe you have to see your ex again because you have some joint friends Mm -hmm. and something happens and you Mm -hmm. just want to like throw the glass you're holding at them from across the room. Have, Have you personally had an example of that? And did you achieve compartmentalization? Did you manage to hold back your emotions? Yeah, I think early on there were moments. I think my my ex-husband and I, though, did make a conscious decision in our divorce of um, making our interactions as healthy as possible because it was something that we needed to, you know, consciously think about. And so, um, but I, I actually had a moment where um, I had a, my first holiday without Grace with all my family around all my nieces and nephews and Grace wasn't there because she was with my ex-husband. And I had such an emotional reaction to that, to that moment. 
And I had to figure out, okay. And I thought I have to pull myself together. (laughs) This is, this is not, you know, because I was basically, you know, um, putting a damper on the entire, entire holiday. Um, So I have had those moments and it was less about him being in the room with me, but the aspect that, you know, Grace wasn't there with me. This was now my reality. I was spending a Thanksgiving without her. And that was really hard. And so I actually, in fairness, decided that the holidays that I don't have grace, and this is now, you know, she's turned 20 last weekend, but you know, we have, we alternate holidays and the holidays I don't have her, I don't go and spend it with my family and my nieces and nephews. Cause it is hard. And I, I've, I put a different model in place for those holidays um, because I think it's just something that um, it just it was an adjustment I needed to make in terms of how I was living life. So on on that holiday where you were with all your nieces and nephews for the first time and you were in this new reality, because I think so many people be able to relate to this, you know, whether you have children or not, like when you're in that new reality of, oh, this is a Christmas now, this is a Thanksgiving now. How did that feel? Mm -hmm. Well, I think quite honestly, if it was so tough, it was so tough there. I just had a deep sense of um, loss of those moments you know, as of having those moments without grace and in realizing that this would be my reality moving forward, you know, of having these types of things. So I think it was a really real sense of loss. Um, and, but what I decided though, and again, Smith, this goes back to our earlier converse, part of the conversation, I decided, look, then I need to figure out how to make those happy moments for me. And if it means literally changing the dynamic of those certain holidays to make them positive, that's what I was going to do versus saying, okay, this is my reality. I'm now going to go and be miserable <laughs> every other holiday because grace isn't there. And I just thought that's again, not what needs to be done. So I think sometimes we think there's a mental model of how we're supposed to do things. And when you go through a divorce, I think you have to step back and decide how do you want to live your life? How do you want to live your life with your children? What does that look like? And you do, you may, you hold on to certain traditions that make sense and still bring happiness and you let some of those go or change them so that they can be happy moments again. And how did you break that? Cause I love that. Like deciding for yourself, like this is what I want to do now on holidays. Cause this yeah. is right for me. But yeah. how did you sort of break that to your family? And how did they react? Yeah, no, I, I just explained to them. I said, I was so interestingly, uh, my parents and my family have been incredibly supportive throughout this whole process, but I said, you know what, this isn't going to work for me, you know? And I, and I think at this stage, and again, this was early on and they saw that I was trying to adjust to a new way of life of being a, a single working mom and, and all the things that come with the adjustments of, of a divorce. So they appreciated that. Um, and I, you know, I, I think that they saw that that's what I needed to do. And so they were very um, understanding. And, and I know that it was hard for them early on because they'd love for me to be there, but it was something that I felt I needed to do for myself. And that is something that's really important as, as you go through divorce, uh, especially again, when you're, you're, you have children involved, you're, you're thinking of all the things that you need to do to, to juggle this new life. And sometimes you lose, like, what do you need? You know, what is the self-care you need to make sure that you can be healthy and happy over the course of time? And so I think that's one of the things that um, I tried to focus on, you know, over years. I joke, Samantha, that the first year, um, I feel like you're recovering from a divorce hangover. (laughs) I mean, it is literally a hangover and everyone takes time to to recover from, from that feeling. And so with the year of firsts, as I refer to them, the things that you do for the first time, after your divorce, it's just figuring out what, which, which of those things you liked, how it went and which of those things that you want to change. 
and, and then making those shifts and kind of unapologetically saying, I'm trying something new that didn't work for me. And, and then seeing if the next approach works and then taking it from there, but it is definitely a learning journey along the way of what works in life and and how you want to live it. I like that you said that as well, because a lot of parents that I speak to on the podcast, I mean, quite rightly, put a lot of focus on the children and the well-being of the children. And obviously that's very important. But as you said, it's also really important to think about yourself and what do I need and what do I need to put in place? And and being honest with people, because I think one of the things I struggled with was telling people what I needed. And it sounds like you very, you know, honestly had a conversation with your family and said, I I don't need this. Whereas I was like, I'm just going to go away and not tell them why I've gone away, Um, but I'll just hide for a bit and then they'll probably forget about me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, you know, it's interesting. I guess I was very open about, you know, the emotions I was working through that, you know, that year first I was working through and, and I appreciate that I could be open and that my family would, and in my friends would accept the things that I was willing to do or the things that I'm like, yeah, we're probably not doing that. <laughs> was there anyone in your life who didn't accept it or maybe took a bit longer to get to grips with these new ways of doing things? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. What I found interesting is because we had made a very conscious decision to try to co-parent grace in a healthy way and, and interact, you know, when we did interact in a healthy way, I did have, you know, certain friends that still felt they needed to take sides in our divorce, you know, and that I thought that was an interesting thing because I wasn't asking them to do that, but there's almost a, again, a, a mental model in society that you have to take a side right? You can't, you couldn't be friends or support both, you know, both sides of, of that divorce. And I never wanted that because I did want Grace, quite honestly, to be able to go out into our neighborhood and into our community. And if we were together as parents at Grace's, you know, soccer game or at a school event, that it wasn't awkward, like, oh gosh, there. So, you know, the crazy story I have on that is we went to a parent teacher, we got divorced when Grace was in first grade when she was seven. So in sixth grade, we were at a parent teacher conference where her school had Grace and my ex-husband and I, they, you all are meant to go together to talk to the teacher. So we walked in, we sat down, we had an hour conversation about Grace's you know, education, everything. And at the end of it, the teacher looked at me and said, are you two divorced? <laughs> and I, I said, yeah, actually we got divorced five years ago. She said, I had no idea. And I said, well, it didn't occur to me to tell you, like to walk in and go, so we're going to have Grace's parent-teacher conference. But by the way, we are divorced. Like, let, let me tell you that. So I said, it didn't occur to me to tell you. And she said, you would be so shocked how few couples can walk into this office and sit here for an hour together with their child and talk about their child's education. It is very, very rare. And she says, it makes me very sad. And I looked at her and said, that makes me really sad. And by the way, Grace is hearing this entire conversation, you know, at, in, you know, at, at her stage. And so, but that's just an example of where, you know, we were trying to potentially just live the life that we thought we did needed to do to, to be there for Grace as parents. But also just the, the fact that the teacher thought maybe we were supposed to tell her we were divorced. I'm like, no, no, no need. But that's, you know, it's just interesting. Yeah, I guess you put two people who don't get on anymore for whatever reason in a room together in any room and 
sparks can fly. Um, and, you know, school parents evening were always heightened environments. I, I remember just from me being at school and having my parents there and they were together at the time. So yeah, I can yes. see. Yeah, that it's, might just be. The, it's just those moments, you know, it's just those moments that I reflect on and think that, that we just have to stop and think what, what can we do to, to do the best for our children and ourselves? Cause we're both meant to hear, you know, how Grace was doing in school. So why should one of us not be there or have to have it or quite honestly, the teacher have to have a separate, you know, a separate session because we happen to be divorced. So, so um, we've touched it a little bit on certain moments, but I wondered if I could take you right back. Yes. To the divorce. So Mm -hmm. you've just decided to split up, get divorced. How long ago was that? Where were you in the world? What were you Mm -hmm. doing with your life? How old was your daughter? Yeah. So it was 13 years ago. Um, I was living in Atlanta at the time. Uh, I was working, I work in the corporate world. I work in global marketing and pretty high flying uh, job as well. (laughs) Thank you. I enjoy what I do. I enjoy what I do. And, um, Grace was seven and we made this decision to, to get a divorce. And what was interesting is we went through what's called a collaborative process where there's um, actually two coaches involved that help you just make the decisions about your child. Um, then or about your divorce, I should say, there's um, lawyers that eventually write up what you've decided. And then there's a financial neutral and a child specialist. But what was interesting is we went to meet with the child specialist before we were going to tell Grace. And we sat down and he looked at me and he said, do you travel, Sarah? And I said, yeah, I travel globally for my job. And he looked at my ex-husband, he said, do you travel? And he said, yeah, you travel. He said, I travel domestically. He said, well, Grace is about to become a professional traveler. She's going to travel every week for the next 11 years until she heads off to college. And I burst into tears, burst into tears. And I thought, that's not what I want for her, for her life. I don't want her to feel that way. And so we walked out of that session and I looked at my ex-husband. I said, we have to do everything we can to help Grace not feel like she's a professional traveler. Like that's not fair to her. So some of this has a bit of socioeconomic considerations, Samantha, but we just decided that we would try to have the basics at each home so that she didn't have to pack a bag. And so she would just have her school bag with her backpack, you know, books or whatever. Um, And then she could head out to school and whichever home she was going to after school, she could go do that and not have that extra bag because I'm going to sleep at mom or dad's house tonight. Yeah. And that was just a moment as I look back on our divorce, it was a kind of a, a key point for us in terms of making a decision of how to, um, how to manage that, because it is a really significant um, aspect of a child, the children that go through divorce and what they have to manage on a week to week basis. We get to sleep in our own homes, right? We, we aren't having to pack a bag every week, but they are. And so I wanted to see what we could do to minimize that. So lots of pants and socks. <laughs> exactly. I always say, how do, like, how do the socks get all at one house? I don't know how that works. I mean, <laughs> we would actually have rebalancing days uh, on Sundays when we were transitioning. And I would say to my husband, it's time to rebalance somehow. I, <laughs> we, have, we, have, we don't have any socks over here. <laughs> and so, so, but then again, it was up to us to rebalance. It wasn't up to say to Grace, go up in your closet and figure out what should be at mom or dad's house. That's not her job. You know, she's a yeah. kid. 
You know, it was like, so we would be bouncing. We would carry it to the other person and say, hey, here's the stuff. It wasn't, again, for Grace to carry those extra bags. I just feel like there's something about that carrying that extra weight, those extra things that isn't, a, it isn't what the kids should have to be. They're supposed to be kids, you know? And so that was, yes. So the, the, the uneven, the uneven balance of socks was definitely part of our reality, but we, we figured out how to, to rebalance things. And what was it like? Cause you know, you said you travel globally. Yes. Do you remember the first time you left the country mm-hmm. after the divorce? So you had to leave yeah. Grace. Yeah. Yeah. How did well, that feel? I, you know, it's interesting. I've been traveling globally since she was born. So there's an element of that felt somewhat just, you know, normal, but it is different when you're now living in two different households and you know, you know, she now in fairness, she would go to stay with her dad if I was going out of the country. And if for some reason he was traveling, then we did have a nanny who would stay overnight with her. But I do think the, you know, the, the balancing act um, of being a single working mom and what comes with that and the different level of things that you have to think about um, is significant. And so when you're going on an international trip and all the things just to get ready for the trip and then the things that are happening on the home front. And I will say there was one crazy time I was actually in London and there was, there were crazy rains in Atlanta and there was a flood and her school closed and I'm getting a call from the school saying, you need you need the phone numbers for me. And it said, you need to pick grace up. I'm like, well, that's not happening. So, <laughs> Quite far away. away. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, there are those moments as a working mom, when you get on those flights and, you know, things are going to happen at home. You need to be able to, to and she, she got picked up from school. It was all, it was all fine, but it is um, yeah, it is a different, thing as you, as you head into that next phase of figuring out what that juggling act looks like. Ding dong. It's the ad break. This podcast is sponsored by Penguin in the Room, an award-winning company that can manage your business's social media. They even manage our podcast, Instagram and Twitter. Just email info at penguinintheroom.com for a quote. Also, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can by buying merchandise from our website, www.thedivorcesocial.com. Ding dong. So you're, you know, you're traveling. I said earlier, you have a high flying job. Financially, was the divorce a stress for you? And, And how did you manage that? It's a great question. Um, actually, um, two things. One, my ex-husband and I, obviously, we both had careers. And so it was a fairly even situation relative to the financial dynamics of our, our um, marriage. But what I will say, and it was really interesting, is that because I never intended to get divorced and the way that we had set up our lives, there were things I did and there were things my ex-husband did. So he managed our finances and I did other things. And so I realized when I got divorced, how ill-equipped I was to manage the day-to-day of my finances now that it was my job to manage those. And also even, and this is maybe more specific to the US, but um, I, because of how we'd set up everything, I was always listed second on credit cards and on the cars we purchased and on the house. So my credit rating was almost non-existent at age 38. Yeah. And that again, as a bright, you know, I, I feel like I'm a bright, <laughs> a bright person, but it was not something that occurred to me because again, I was and a businesswoman, right? Because right, you work woman. in business Absol- absolutely. and people but, would assume like, oh yeah, she's on top of all of that no, stuff. Right. But there's but, all these things that you never think about and you get divorced and you're like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I will never forget sitting with the fellow as I was, because I actually decided to stay in the home that we had been living in with Grace. And I bought my ex-husband out of that, his portion of the house. And I was sitting with the fellow for the mortgage. He goes, but you know, you, we have an issue with your credit rating. I'm like, what are you talking about? So, you know, those are moments, you know? And so I think it's about being educated. Um, By the way, some of the things I talk about in my book, I was just having a conversation the other night about this are just about (laughs) good life lessons. I think Um, whether you're getting a divorce or not, it's some things you need to think about. And I've learned those lessons along the way. And I admittedly share that story because I am, yes, as educated as I am and as, you know, I have a career and all those things, but these are things that you just, sometimes you, you don't have that front and center because you don't ever think it's going to, I never in a million, million years thought I would get a divorce. So it didn't, those things weren't even in my consideration set. Well, yeah, no one's thinking, oh, my relationship might end. I wonder what my credit rating's like. Exactly. <laughs> well, maybe, you, I mean, maybe you are, but I yeah. didn't. <laughs> exactly. It was, not, it was not top of mind, Samantha. Yeah. It was not top of mind. So, so those, it was, yeah, interesting moments. So, so you were getting the divorce. You, it sounds like you sort of addressed your co-parenting head on. We're really focusing on grace. Mm-hmm. You bought him out of the house, so you were staying mm-hmm. in the house. Mm-hmm. Was there anything you did? Because um, I talk a lot to people about their surroundings, and I know I got a bit overexcited because I was I li- I stayed in my house that I'd bought with my ex and bought him out, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden it's your own. And I had a bit of a kind of I needed to evacuate all the memories that I shared with him through furniture and things, mm-hmm. and needed to kind of redecorate. Did you have a kind of phase of that? Yes, I would say two things. It was interesting. Um, I definitely had a redecorating phase. No question. That was, that was part of it. That was part of it. But what's interesting is because I was staying, but we were giving up things and grace was going to be seeing this happen. My biggest concern was leaving holes that, so whether a piece of art was like coming down, it wasn't, maybe that was going to replace a piece of art, but maybe I put a mirror there, you know, that, you know, a chair was going to leave and what was going to go where that chair was. Um, and the biggest, the most poignant moment for me was we had a long hallway of black and white photos that was of both of our families interspersed, you know, on this kind of a collage of a, of a hallway of our lives. And I needed to give my ex-husband, obviously his photos. So I took the time to get other photos done and frame them. And then I sent Grace down the street for a play date on a Sunday afternoon. And I took the photos off the wall, put the new photos up and Grace came home an hour or so later. And I'm in the kitchen and I hear this little voice from the hallway say, Hey mom. And I said, what's that Grace? She said, the hallways changed. And I stopped in my tracks and I said, what's changed Grace? She said, there are more pictures of me up there. It looks great. And she ran up to her room and Samantha, I took the biggest sigh. <laughs> I was like, because oh, you were like, breath. oh my God, she's going to say about all the pictures that I've yes, removed. Yes. And, you know, and so, but what it showed me and what I, what I can tell you, and I'm hundred percent confident of this, like if I had just taken the photos down, right. If, and, and, and given the max, I put them in a box and left those little hangers on the wall. Grace would be going to therapy years from now you know, saying my parents got divorced. My mom took all the photos of my dad off the wall and she left those little hangers, you know? And so I, I just, I think those are the moments that for me really showed how much they notice of their environment. 
even when that, I thought that hallway was wallpaper. I didn't think she'd notice it at all, but they noticed everything. And also the filling the holes, again, it may not be the exact thing that was removed, but trying to make sure that there aren't physical representation of their lives being pulled apart or our lives being pulled apart, I think is really important. So, um, so I did take a, an opportunity to, to redecorate some things and, but even, you know what, I kept Grace's room the same and there were family photos of both sides of her family in her room. And I left those, that is her room. Those, that is her family, her aunts and uncles from her dad's side, her grandparents, her dad. So when I walk in to put laundry away or say goodnight to her, you know, my ex-husband is on the wall, but I said, you know what, that's, that's Grace's room. This in, and her life shouldn't be that I am, you know, erasing all these people that are really important to her just because, you know, I'm no longer associated with them through marriage. I think that's really interesting about replacing the gaps or the spaces you talked about mm-hmm. taking something down, but replacing it. And I know you were talking about, you know, Grace noticed and it was nice for her. Do you think it was nice for you too? So the house didn't feel yes. empty? Oh, absolutely. No, for me, I, I need visual order, Samantha. <laughs> <laughs> so the gaps would have been very hard for me um, mentally as well. So as much as I was doing it for Grace, I was absolutely doing it for me to feel like our, you know, my life wasn't being pulled apart. The house that I love still felt like a home. Um, and so absolutely, I think it was, it was for both of us, but I, but I really saw the impact of those changes and the fact that she noticed it so quickly really blew me away at the time. Yeah. And so how did your love life look post-divorce? Did you, cause obviously you got, you're traveling all over the world. Yes. You've got this yes. job. You've got looking yes. after your daughter. Yes. Did you start dating again? How long afterwards was it? And how was that process for you? Yeah. Great question. So initially right after divorce, I did not, not initially date the first year or so. I really took some time again, kind of to, I went on a vacation by myself. I, you know, I did some things. Oh, I did that too. So fun. I loved it. I loved it. It was so good. I was so scared to do it. And then I absolutely loved it when I was there. I did too. I did too. I thought it was a really, no, I haven't done it since, but it was a moment. It was like something that I really felt uh, it was therapeutic in so many ways. So, so having said that about a year and a half after, um, I got divorced, I, I started dating and then I did start seeing someone who actually I'm still seeing 11 years later, uh, uh we are, uh, still seeing each other. It's a long distance relationship actually, which works for both of us, given what we're doing in our lives, but, um, a very special person who, when I do go on holidays, uh, without grace, um, he and I are together. And, um, you know, I think that there's different ways of structuring relationships these days. And that was, I think another learning for me, Samantha is, um, Many of my girlfriends who have um, who went through divorce after me, actually, I was the first of my friend group to do so. Um, many of them have gotten remarried, actually, and I have not, and that's just by choice. And but it is interesting the different ways of of representing, you know, a long distance relationship where my intent is maybe not to get married because that's just not a goal for me. Um, and but I've had an amazing companion partner. Um, you know, love of my life that, so I enjoy, I enjoy that relationship so much, but it is maybe a less, a little less traditional, um, than, uh, what some people have done post post post-divorce, but I think, you know, different, different relationships at different times of life. And, um, and I think maybe different goals of what you're trying to get out of that relationship. Yeah. I think that's so interesting of, cause I know definitely for me, 
and and a lot of the listeners to the podcast have kind of followed my journey. And in the first few series of the podcast, I remember being like, oh my God, no one's ever going to love me again. I'm never going to love myself again. I can't think of like dating someone long-term. Yes. Now I have a partner and I'm all in love again, which is lovely. First yes. series, I've been able to say that. That's awesome. And um, I remember a time when I could never imagine how that looks, Mm -hmm. but now I'm in it. I think it also looks different because I got married and I sort of did that route. And not saying that I'm I'm against getting married again. I don't know how I feel about that yet, but I think, do you think having us, the fact we've gone through that experience means that we're looking for different things out of a relationship or maybe we're looking for the same thing, but we know it doesn't have to fit this societal structure. I think it's probably a little bit of both. You know, I think that there's things that you look for, maybe that you liked in your past relationship and you're looking for that again. Um, But then you, you are living a very different um, life because of what your lived experiences before. Right. And so how you think about things can be really different. So I think it's probably a combination. Um, but I, I can say that I have approached this relationship very differently than my marriage, um, for a range of reasons and partly because of how it's structured, but also I think just in terms of what I need at this stage in my life. And, you know, I am, you know, I have, grace and I have my career and I have my friends and my family. And so it's like how all of this fits together in a way that works for me. And again, I, I, I said, said earlier, I think that if you can get really clear on what works for you, sometimes it won't match up with what society or your family is thinking is the model to follow. Um, but I think if it works for you and you can say, you know, I'm really happy in this scenario or with this situation or this relationship, then that's really what matters. And um, I just, sometimes think we're, we're so tied to what society thinks you're supposed to do. And I, I think there's just lots of different ways to structure relationships. There's lots of different ways to structure families these days. And that's changing a lot. Even since my gut, I'd say in the 13 years since, since our divorce, like the, um, the acceptance and the understanding of these different models is, is evolving too. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm very happy both with my life, both, personally and professionally and, and, um, the relationship I'm in is very special part of that. So with it, just for people who are like, Oh, long distance sounds interesting. How does that work? So an 11 year long distance relationship, how does that work? Do you speak every day? Do you just speak when you want to, do you have like official set times to see each other or is it negotiable? Oh yeah. No, we, um, we, we connect every day, but we also, we see each other basically every two weeks, sometimes every may, sometimes it stretches to three weeks and we both travel a lot and and have busy lives. So it really works for us. But again, very, it's non-traditional in terms of, you know, I'm not asking him what he wants for dinner on Tuesday night. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That's, which is probably quite nice. Quite honestly, in I'm some fine ways. with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine with that. I'm not sure I really need to know what he wants for dinner on Tuesday night. So no, so it's just a different, it's a different way of, of having a relationship, but it, it works and we're there for each other, you know, for all that happens in life. And um, so it's, it's, it's been an amazingly positive part of my life. So feel very, very fortunate. I love that. Yeah. So you, you've gone through all these experiences. When mm-hmm. did the idea come up where you were like, I know I'll write this into a book. <laughs> it's a great question. Well, first of all, as I mentioned, I've, I'm, I'm a business writer. I've never fashioned myself a writer, Samantha. So 
Um, what's interesting is after my divorce, I helped a number of my friends who had decided, I, I, I said earlier, I don't want to convince anyone to get a divorce, but they decided that was the path they were going to go down and they would ask me for guidance. And so I'd help them through the divorce. And at the end of it, they'd say, you really need to write this stuff down. And I think, oh, and I think, well, okay. But I'm thinking to myself, I'm never doing that. <laughs> That's not happening. But what happened was I was at a business dinner in Mexico city and I was as sitting next, as you do with, with a group of wonderful people. And I, my, my colleague and friend turned to me and he said, Sarah, you're so happy. And I said, yeah, I am. He goes, but you're divorced. <laughs> and I said, Salman, getting a divorce is not a death sentence. I said, my ex-husband and I decided to no longer be married to each other, but I'm happy. Grace is happy. My ex-husband happy. I'm like, we're all happy. And I mentioned, I said, you know, it's funny. A number of my friends have said that I should kind of write a book about, you know, how we've gotten to this place. He goes, you really should. So the next morning I got on my flight out of Mexico city and I opened my laptop and I wrote a line that said, this girl, this book is written by a girl who got a divorce, who never ever thought she would get a divorce and what she learned along the way. And that's the first kind of opening line of my book. And what's interesting, Samantha, is I, <laughs> I wrote the book about 90% of it on Delta as I traveled the world. And so after I'd finished work on one of those long flights, instead of watching a movie or reading a book, I'd open my personal laptop and I'd start writing. So I wrote most of it there. And then I didn't know if I'd actually publish it, but I figured out what that would look like. And so I'm, I'm very proud of it because the thing is, and it's really been interesting, this book journey I've been on is um, I published it in 2016 and then I updated it in 2020. And the reason I did that is I was at the five-year mark when I first published and I wrote, the entire book is written in very bite-sized pieces. And the reason I did that is when I was getting a divorce, people would give me books and they were thick and dense. I would open them, I would close them, and I never read them, not one of them. And so I thought, if I'm going to do this, what's happening when someone's going through a divorce? There's so many things coming at you. There's so many things you're trying to decide and all of these different topics. So I wrote it in, in three phases, preparing for the change, during the change and post the change. And then I wrote them in these bite-sized pieces where there's just a topic per page. And so there's 150 topics in the book originally, and I added about 35 um, back in 2020. So it's about 185 topics. And it's really meant to be, not meant to be read cover to cover, because depending on where you are in your in your divorce journey, but it's meant to be that you could just go in and look at a topic and take that topic in and reflect on it and then move on to the next topic when you're ready. And so uh, it's been a really rewarding experience to have written the book. Again, something I never thought I would do. Um, but now it's, um, I take, I, I, it's been something that's really given. I, I did it to help women quite honestly going through this. And it's given me such satisfaction to know that I'm, I am helping, you know, women around the world, quite honestly, that have said that this is really helping them. So. It's, it sounds a lot similar. Why I started the podcast was originally it was for me so I could talk to other people, but now it's because it seems to help people and that that's lovely. And it I'm is very lovely. happy to do that. It is lovely. Yeah. I had, I actually had a woman stop me in the produce section at the grocery store and she said, she said, you, Sarah Armstrong, the author. And again, because I, you know, I'm, I don't think about that. I said, oh yes, I am. And she said, well, I was at your, your book signing at Barnes and Noble and I'm going through divorce. And I just want to thank you for writing this book. I carry it with me and it keeps me calm. Oh, wow. 
What a lovely review. Totally, Samantha. And and so she, and I said, thank you for sharing that with me. And she walked away and I thought, and, and as she walked away, I thought, that is why I've written this book to help a woman that I don't know that's going through a really challenging time in life. And if I can help keep her calm and one of the most tumultuous things you can go through, like that's so rewarding. And so that really was a moment for me of just such satisfaction to know that the book was making a difference in people's lives. Absolutely. Yeah. It's funny you said you um, would write the book w- while traveling on an airplane because yeah. I... I'm an author, but I write children's books with deaf protagonists because I'm deaf in one ear. Uh-huh. And um, I've just actually written a, my first adult's book, which is called Living with Hearing Loss and Deafness, which is a nonfiction. But I love writing on trains and planes and there's something about yeah. moving. <laughs> yeah, moving. I think it's moving in the white noise. Yeah. I think it's the combination and I don't know what it is, but I think so clearly at 30,000 feet, <laughs> yes. it is crazy. I don't know what's going on, but I always joke that it's, it's the white noise and the movement and honestly, just having time to yourself to reflect and think. And so it's been very much um, a part of my book journey is, is really um, those moments on the plane where it all just kind of, you know, comes out. Yeah. And I guess you can't, you know, when you're at home, you could obviously sit in front of your laptop, but then you could go and make a cup of tea you could start tidying on a plane you're kind of stuck it's very yeah I found it's interesting because I'm actually working on a second book right now um, that's more focused on the working mom's guide to the juggling act which is you know another topic I'm very passionate about and I'm finding because I haven't been flying as much due to the pandemic and things that um, yes I'm having to carve out space that I didn't have to carve out before to actually have focused time to write which is just an interesting thing but I'm figuring it out but it's gonna over the course of time we'll get that next we'll get that next book written but it's yeah, uh, yeah it's fun and do you think you learned things about your divorce from writing the book that you didn't learn going through it? Yes, absolutely. You know what? I think the reflection on what we had done and how much of that was conscious in some respects, and maybe there's some unconscious things too, but when you actually put it in view in the way that I did in the book, I think what I learned, and, and it's interesting that um, it takes a lot of effort to, to quite honestly, to have a good divorce, because you have to going back to our earlier conversation about taking the high road and having moments where you're like, Oh, this isn't, this isn't easy. But I look at all the things that we tried to accomplish together in raising grace and the decisions you have to make and the discussions you need to have about those decisions along the way. And I look back and say, you know what? Um, I think overall, I feel really good about what we did, but then there's some things and it's, that's why I read, wrote the update. There were things that came to me afterwards. I'm like, oh gosh, what about that thing? So the, the post, the 10 year mark, I had other reflections on our divorce and things that I thought might help. And so, yeah, it's, it's been a absolute learning and growth journey to have both written the book and reflect on our divorce and reflect on how, um, how we approached it. Yeah. And do you think, obviously you've, you've been through it and you've written the book on good divorce. Do you think it was good all the way through? What percentage good was it? <laughs> can, can, can anyone achieve a hundred percent good divorce? No, here's the thing. Nothing, nothing is perfect. Okay. And I was not going for perfection. That's why it's called good divorce and not the perfect divorce. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, you know, there were, there were definitely moments along the way, there were bumpy moments along the way. Um, but I think that what, when I look back at, how Grace has grown up, how my ex-husband and I, my ex-husband and I took Grace to college together. 
you know, and dropped her off in her dorm room. And we actually had dinner that night together first, you know, that was really one of the first dinners we had just the two of us just to like reflect on, you know, we raised her and we got her here. And um, so I think that, you know, definitely bumps along the way, but we work through them and we tried not to have those be big, you know, gray clouds that followed us, you know, over the course of time. Um, but, you know, there was a moment of reflection that Grace had when we were on a holiday, she and I, right after the divorce happened, where she looked at a family that was at another table and she said, that's a real family. Oh, and I said, oh, Grace, I go, we're a real family. She goes, no, we're not. She goes, they have a mommy and a daddy and a sister and a brother. And I'm, <laughs> and I had to laugh for a moment. I'm like, well, you weren't ever going to have the sister or brother, but <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it was a moment where I thought, oh, even though I'm trying to do all these things, you know, that was her reflection. And um, I actually went back and, and shared that reflection with the child specialist that had been helping us through our divorce with, and I mentioned how I'd reacted. He said, you shouldn't have told her she was wrong. She's right. She, that was her perspective. You know, that's her mental model of a family. And he said, she will learn over the course of time that there are different structures for family and that they're in, but, but at that moment at age eight and or eight, eight or nine, it was, it was in the first couple of years, you know, that's what she was thinking a family had to look like. And so, you know, those were moments when I say bumps, like those are moments for me where I just, oh, it's like knife to the heart, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, you know, I'm like, oh no, no, we're, we are a family. And so I think there are those moments, whether it was between my ex-husband and I or, or, you know, little reflections along the way that I had to take on and, and, and reflect on, but you work through them and then you, you figure out how to, to move past them. And, and hopefully again, try to stay that the mindset is so essential in, in both getting a divorce and post-divorce. And try to stay on the positive side. I, I always say that no one as no one gets divorced for good reason. So there's obviously negativity, you know, associated with it. But if you can really focus on what you want to be positive in your life moving forward and have that be the focus with yourself, with your children, with your family and friends, like then that's what's going to follow you, not the negative cloud. Yeah. And you have know? you ever had a conversation? you know, now Grace is off in college and, and yeah. 20, I think you said. Yes. Have yeah. you had a conversation with her since about yeah. the whole Absolutely. process for her? Absolutely. Well, it's interesting when I wrote the book, Samantha, I, she was 12 when I wrote it and then I gave it to her and asked her to read it just to say, I want you to feel comfortable with what mom is saying about us, you know, and, and sharing with the world. Cause we're actually, I'm a very private person. So I said, I want to make sure you're okay with this. And uh, so she read, she goes, mom, this is really going to help families. And over the course of her life, she did have some friends whose parents would go through divorce. And she said, you know, it doesn't have to be like that mom. Cause they were quite honestly, pretty ugly and contentious situations. She goes, it just doesn't have to be that way. She goes, why? And I said, you know, Grace, that's, that's why I wrote the book. That's why we're trying to share because there is a different way of doing it. So we have talked about it over the course of time. The one moment that was an interesting reflection from her though, as she was packing for college, um, just over a year ago, she came home one day from her dad's house and she said, mom, I'm calling this the great consolidation. And I go, what do you mean? She goes, when I go off to college, it'll be the first time in 11 years where all my stuff is with me in one place. Wow. And I said, wow. And I said, Grace, I said, you know what? I am so happy that all your stuff is, is going to be with you in one place. But the interesting thing, Samantha, in her entire growing up, she never once complained about yeah. the, the fact that her stuff wasn't in one place, but the fact that at, you know, age 18, she could reflect and say that. And I said, you know what? I, I said, I so appreciate how you have taken on the life that we've asked you to live 
living across two homes, but I'm really happy that all your stuff gets to be with you, you know, in one place. And so, but that was an interesting reflection. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I was going to, I was going to ask you because I know a lot of people be listening and be like, oh my God, this sounds amazing. I want this. I want this good divorce. I want to end up in the situation that you're in. Yeah. But my other half mm-hmm. is making life really hard. Mm-hmm. Do you have any advice for anyone in that situation? Can you have a good divorce on your own? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, first of all, as individuals, we can only control what we can what what we can do. Really, it's 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 our actions. We can't control anyone else's actions or reactions. And so I generally say that if you're in a situation where the other um, ex-spouse is not necessarily wanting to um, interact in that same way, then you just have to decide how you interact with them. And again, it, it's, it goes back to what I said earlier. It goes back to maybe taking the high road in those moments. And if they're wanting to kind of come at you, like you step away or you try to diffuse or, or you don't put yourself in those situations, you know, so it's, it's about what you can control in your actions and your words and your emotions, knowing that that other person may not be capable of that. And so I do think you can still have a good divorce for how you've approached it. And I always just wanted Grace to know that that from my standpoint, I'd done all I could in our lives to make this the best situation possible, even though it wasn't an ideal situation in terms of what we were doing to her life. And so I think um, that's the same thing. And when you have someone who might not be on the same page with you, what can you do? What can you influence in your own world to make it the best it can be? Now, whether you deem it the good, a good divorce in all the ways that I'm sharing, I think it's up for everyone. It's more just thinking, can you try to head in that direction versus just assuming it all has to be negative and it all has to be, you know, a, a cloudy path for the rest of your life. And so I do think we have control of certain aspects of what that looks like. And we need to do all we can with what we can control and influence to head down a positive path versus the reliving and relitigating the past for the future. I just don't think that that is a healthy way to go through life. Yeah. Definitely. And what do you think, just to finish off, what do you Mm -hmm. think, this is a big question, is the biggest thing, the like one thing, if someone asked you, what do I need to know that you've learned through going through a divorce, coming out the other end, being in love again, writing a book on it? The one thing I've learned, I would say to believe and follow what you know is going to make you happy and to keep that as your north star even when you can be going through tough times and think is that ever going to happen is that going to be and just really putting a vision out there for yourself of what you want life to look like down the road and staying true to it and keep reminding yourself that that's what you're aiming for and have those conversations with yourself. I go on a lot of long walks, (laughs) Um, have those conversations with yourself about, you know, how you're going to do that. And and again, it's a lot of small decisions and actions that get you there over the course of time, but keeping that in view and knowing that you can have a happy life that you have designed for yourself and and for your kids. And um, over the course of time, I think is really important. And believing that that's possible. I think it's having, I think if maybe to call it down to one word, sorry, that was a long answer, but I think it's belief um, and belief that there is a happy life post-divorce. And um, and again, across all aspects of your life, hopefully. 
Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Where can oh. people find you online? And oh. can you remind us of the details of your book? Yes. Okay. So um, my actually my um, website is um, gooddivorce.guide, which is a little unique. And um, that's where all my both book information and information about myself is out there as well. And then my book is available on Amazon globally. Um, and uh, it also is available in paperback and in um, ebook format as well as I went into the studio during the pandemic and did an audiobook. So it's also available on Audible because I do appreciate that certain individuals might not want this book on their bedside table or on a coffee table, um, but may want to just listen to it on a walk or whatever the case may be. So it's available in the different formats, depending on how you might need to need to take it in. Amazing. Well, Sarah, thank you so much. It's been a joy to chat. Oh, Samantha, thank you so much for having me. Really enjoyed the conversation. Oh, hi. Thank you for listening to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines. Please leave us a review. Please, please. Um, It would be super nice. They're lovely to read. They keep me cheery and happy and keep me going. Uh, But also it affects our listing in the podcast charts, uh, which are very important because that's how more people find the podcast. And I'd love to help more people get through those really tough heartbreak and divorce times. And they're more likely to find us if we're higher up on the charts. So if you'd like to leave a review, I'd love you forever. You can leave them on iTunes is the big one or most podcast platforms do them as well. I'll take all the reviews you've got to give. You can also uh, get in contact on Twitter and Instagram at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. We have a website, thedivorcesocial.com and we have a Patreon account, which means that you can support the podcast for as little as £2 a month and it helps me with all the admin costs. It also means you have access to our 90 style divorce and heartbreak chat room and there's lots of exclusives on there, little bits of audio that you don't get in the main podcast and some giveaways as well. So I'd love to see you over on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Samantha Baines and please leave a review. Did I say that already? Please leave a review. Love you forever.